0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper.
1: Today
0: Welcome back to Friday's Last Word. It is time for the week trending. I'm joined in studio by Roe McDermott, movies editor with Hot Press and advice columnist with the Irish Times. Good evening, Roe. Hi,
1: how are you?
0: And Kieran Cunningham is with us as well, chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star. Good evening, Kieran.
2: Hi, Nathan. Hi, Roe. Uh, we're going to
0: start uh, with... Probably the big story of the week, which is the Women's World Cup, a historic appearance for the Republic of Ireland. Unfortunately, no fairy tale yesterday morning, beaten by a goal to nil by the hosts, Australia, reading an editorial in the examiner row about what this means and the significance of it and a line, it's significant that no one's calling for more support for this Ireland team for one simple reason. There's a strong sense that they already have the backing of the entire country with personalities as distinct as Megan Connolly and Amber Barrett known to all. Yeah,
1: true. I, I would always call for more sport, of women's sport in particular because I think it's so important for representation wise, it's so important for young girls who are often discouraged from going into sport to see that we're really so behind this team, so behind this competition and I think what's really important is the Irish team and a lot of women's teams have been fighting for equality and representation and respect in so many ways so it's, this year is really notable, this is the first year that the World Cup women's final is going to take place on actual grass because it's been taking place on artificial turf which the been shown to cause and uh, perpetuate injuries long term and for so long the women's teams were not allowed practice on real grass and that was relegated to the men. The prize money has been a huge dispute and it has been raised a significant amount this year. I think it's up uh, from 30 million to 152 million uh, euro total so the winners get around 4.29 million and the runners up get 3 million and that is up. But again overall there's still still a huge discrepancy between the women's teams and the men's team in children of payment so I think there are systemic issues that have been making huge improvements, and I think the support behind them is great, and we need to keep that up and not get complacent about it, I think.
0: Kieran, there were some brilliant scenes yesterday, and you look at some of the watch parties, particularly down in Rings End, around Abby Larkin, 18-year-old, maybe our next sporting superstar. There was also a lot of frustration, I think, over the last week when, you know, I think when Ireland qualified, there was talk of this being their Italian 90. Yet it was very hard to find jerseys anywhere, uh, very hard to find any bunting and maybe not the level of excitement amongst the general public that people were expecting.
2: Uh, But it does depend how you gauge it, Nathan. Like the numbers were massive, like for a game that was on at 11 a.m. on a Thursday, over half a million watched it on RTE, despite the serious sound issues that stuck with RTE. And then over 300,000 watched it on the players. So that's a combined total of, I think it was close to 900,000 when you combine the two together, which is massive for that time of day. So that shows there's an interest there. In terms of it, corporate Ireland, I think they've been way behind uh, way behind the curve. Now that they haven't had uh, merchandise out there. like There's loads of merchandise for the Rugby World, World Cup in the shops, which isn't a, it doesn't happen for another couple of months. And it was very little available for the... Uh, for the women's team at the, at the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. I know I just know, like I live in a green in North Dublin, and there's about 60 houses in the green, and there's flags out of four of the houses. So it's not Italian 90. Like in Italian 90, 80% of the houses would have had flags. But I think there is interest there. I think the media generally have done a good job. The, the, the people are more familiar with the woman playing and their backstories and, you know, who who they are and, uh, as as footballers and as women. But I think you can't look at this, Nathan, without looking at the long story of Irish mm. women in sports, which is a very interesting one. And it's a very, uh, like, it's been, like, they had their own struggle, the women's team. They had their strike six years ago where they were, you know, when they were treated appallingly by the FAI and they'd go and strike for basic facilities. But you go back, like, Irish women, uh, you know, were stopped from going to the Olympics for 20 years because of Archbishop McQuaid. He was, uh, he was, uh, he was the main influencer on the Olympic Council of Ireland, stopping them. The first uh, Olympian on the track was Maeve Kyle in 1956. She was attacked when she was out uh, training. She had dog, dog crap thrown at her. There was a letter writer at the Irish Times who called her Disgrace to Womanhood. This is one that's remar- remarkable. Archbishop McQuaid wanted gymnastics banned for women in Ireland because he thought girls and women could get sexual stimulation from the pommel horse. So then you move on to the likes of the barriers that Katie Taylor felt uh, faced having to box as a, as a boy, that Deirdre Nelson had to go to the Court of Human Rights to get the right for women to box in Ireland. So there's been barriers put in the way of women in sport all the way through, all the way over the last hundred years. And it takes time to get past the barriers in people's minds. Like you see a lot of judgmental commentary around the game yesterday and the standard of the game and where the team are. And the big mistake a lot of people make is comparing women's sport to men. Mm. It's different. You look at the sport on its own terms. You don't be looking at uh, trying to compare it to men's sport, which has been professional for 130 years. And this is a very new professional sport. Of course, it's different. But different doesn't mean it can't be great.
1: This always reminds me of, there's a statistic that says when men and women are in a meeting together, that if the women speak for 15% of the time, the men leave thinking that it's been an equal distribution of women and men's voices. And if the women speak 30% of the time, the men think they've been speaking more. Uh, And this reminds me of that, that we're supporting the women's teams in these great ways and these small ways. But then we're saying, oh, yeah, well, we have that tiny rail of Irish women's jerseys. And so it's equal, right, when we actually need to get to proper equality.
0: Yeah, because... We are, and there's definitely been issues around jerseys, and I think it's a greater issue than even just the women's game. It's an FAI issue and supply issue and all that. But England have had the same problems as well, where you can't get the goalkeeper's jersey because commercially Nike have decided that it's actually not worthwhile. We're going to be talking on The Last Word in Sport about women's rugby. And actually, there's such a clear example of what not to do, Kieran, in what's happened with women's rugby over the last decade, where it was such a success story. They were household names, and you thought the only way was up, but they screwed it all up.
2: Yeah, and I, I saw an interesting comment uh, made um, earlier on, on on social media, I think on Twitter, that uh, two, two the last two captains have retired from international rugby in their 20s. And they have taken a lot of abuse, you know, online especially, over the performance of the team. Uh, You know, and the team was basically an amateur team with a few pros in the last couple of years taken on professional teams. And, uh, you know, it shows that uh, women face things that men don't even think about in sports. And I know you will get comments to this show about what we're saying. Because that happens every time you talk about women's sport and people say you're just being woke, which is the stupidest word of the 21st century. Um, But uh, there are stuff there. If you want to dig into the history and the reality of women's sport, it's, it's a messy story.
1: There, ski jumping wasn't made, or made an Olympic sport for women until something absolutely ridiculous. I can't remember the date off the top of my head, but something like 1991 because there was a concern that it would disrupt women's uteruses as they were jumping. It's an absolutely mad history.
0: From women's football to Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> You've feminist seen Barbie. I got to Is see- Barbie a feminist icon?
1: oh god this is the question now it's my own fault I went into Barbie I love Greta Gerwig I was really excited for this I thought this was going to be subversive and interesting and feminist and funny there's a lot of pseudo-feminist speeches that I'd expect to hear in an undergrad seminar from like maybe 2003 Um, it's not incredibly substance filled in terms of social messaging however it is frothy it is fizzy it is funny I literally cried laughing there are scenes that are going to be played in the George again and again it's kind of ridiculously fun camp and everybody in it, Margot Robbie but particularly Ryan Gosling put in such fun performances don't go thinking about it too much and I think that might be the message of the film uh, and some we might be talking about later on about the Snow White controversy that if we're looking to Barbie to solve gender equality maybe we're putting our stock in something that was never going to work out and that's our problem <laughs>
0: Or Karen, there's something much deeper going on that we hadn't realised with Barbie and Barbie is a communist
1: Dun dun dun! <laughs>
2: I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Why would you? Like, I, I see the usual suspect, like the Ted Cruz and. Uh... Jim
0: Banks. So, Jim Banks is on the House yeah. Select Committee, a Republican representative who accused the film's producers of endangering our national security. <laughs> we defeated the Soviet Union with Koch, Levi's, and James Dean. We need soft power superiority just as much as we need military superiority.
1: Can I just say that literally sounds like a line that Ken would say in the movie? <laughs>
2: But well, no, it is it is a film, and it's which, you know, by definition, it's a work of fiction. So why do people, if, it, if she is a communist, who cares? Why do the people jump and make it part of these stupid culture wars all the time? My my wife and son are actually at Barbie at the moment. And my son did, she did the, the Barbenheimer thing. He went to Oppenheimer earlier with his friends, and now he's gone with my wife to Barbie. So this seems to be a thing that a lot of people have jumped on that, they see it as two extremes of films, so they're going to get the two of them in in one day, which is a long day.
1: It's a you know, Barbenheimer it's a- day. It's like, God bless to everybody who celebrates, you know. But the controversy here, I think it's just so hilarious, the idea of Barbie being a communist when she's kind of the symbol of capitalism on this multi-billion dollar company. But this has come because there is a map drawn in Barbie in pink paper, and uh, it basically it's the nine-line dash, this much-disputed much region that China claims to have sovereignty over, and there's much debate about this, and Barbie seems to be Celebrating China in this, and this has started this war. War, but I think what is interesting is that why people are get, it's getting people's backs up is that China has invested a huge amount of money in Hollywood since two thousand and one, when they joined the World Trade Organization. And because they have so much financial influence in terms of their box office, they're the biggest box office in the world. And the amount of money they're invested in the studios, it has given them um, it, the placement to and the access necessary to change the content of certain American films and uh, censor anything that they don't. Like. And there have been instances of this. So in Top Gun Maverick, uh, Maverick Tom Cruise's character used to have the Taiwan flag on his jacket. That was erased in... um bizarrely in Mission Impossible 3 Tom Cruise again was running through a scene in China in p- people's back gardens and there was laundry drying on people's lines and they asked them to remove that because it seemed made China seem more backwards and less advanced than usual there's a scene in Transformers Age of Extinction that has Mark Wahlberg getting cash from a China construction bank ATM while in Texas and this is because all of these movies have had funding from China so there has been pressure exerted but, and there are really sense there are really kind of controversial rules like you can't mention Tibet, you can't mention Chinese history you can't mention Mao if the film has any Chinese funding and if you do so, even if it doesn't have Chinese funding, it might get censored in China. However, this is also ignoring that American films are full of American propaganda and capitalist propaganda and Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick, for example, have been funded by the US military and particularly the original Top Gun, the US military set up stands and organised screenings to recruit 18-year-olds coming out of that movie. So the idea of America critiquing films for promoting propaganda, come on now.
0: Well, I'm, I'm always tempted to return to sport, but that idea of the American propaganda, Kieran, I think there's a long piece we could do on the national anthem before- for NFL games and mm-hmm. basketball games and that why yeah. that actually happens uh, would you be at Barbie if you weren't on air with us right now
2: uh no I'll watch it in, uh, if it goes to Netflix or something, I'll watch it I don't <laughs> it think I'd bother It will, it will go to Netflix, Netflix or somewhere
0: yeah. and The Seven Dwarves is a movie we're going to be talking about quite soon but without The Seven Dwarves
1: Yeah so new photos were released from the set and they show that instead of the traditional Seven Dwarves that accompany Snow White uh, there's a group of actors of varying heights weights, skin tones more they're not in the usual colour coded outfits they're wearing kind of <laughs> unique outfits and this has caused outrage I don't exactly know where like a very sad bored corner of of Twitter. Um, but people are saying this is wokeness gone mad, that you're taking the Seven Dwarves out of fairy tales. But Peter, like Pinker Dinklage, who is of course a little person and an actor and incredibly famous and um, for his roles in Game of Thrones and Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, um, he is all for this and he has been, the second that it was announced that there's going to be a remake of Snow Wife Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, he said, take a step back and look what you're doing here. It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way in that you have a Latina Snow White and you're still making this backward story about Seven Dwarfs living in a cave together. What the F are you doing? Have I done nothing to advance the cause for, from my soapbox? Um, so it's opening up these ideas of representation. But again, I think this is kind of a culture where we're, we're just ignoring what a fairy tale is meant to do, right? And I teach creative writing and we always look at fairy tales and what fairy tales have traditionally done. Fairy tales are designed to teach children lessons about the world and the rules of the world and hopefully good empowering lessons, right? So we've changed them as they go on. The original Snow White, Snow White was seven years old. The plan was uh, the Queen told the huntsman to go kill her, bring her back the lungs and liver. The Queen's punishment was to be locked into burning iron shoes and dance until she died. Uh, Like they were really, really dark fairy tales and we sanitised them and made them more fun for children. And now we're making them more empowering. So if you take the basic idea of uh, the point of the dwarves in the original story is that they're unlike Snow White but really care for her. So it's teaching inclusion, it's teaching empathy, it's teaching about caring for people who are different from you. And now in a modern society, we're not treating little people like they're exotic. And so we're going to create a different kind of story that still teaches the same lessons about empathy and inclusion, what is more suitable for modern children? What's the
0: problem, Kieran? Is that fair enough? That stories change as society changes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, like people interpret, uh, you know, come up with new interpretations of things all the time. Like the female actors have played Hamlet, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> There have been acclaimed performances by female actors in Hamlet? So you you can you know, no, a text isn't sacred. You know, you can do things with a text. And, you know, this reminds me as well that like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a long, long time ago, Roald Dahl uh, faced criticisms that the Oompa Loompas were racist because they were originally black skinned pygmies. And he changed he changed that. But you know, this was long before anybody was on about political correctness or wokeness. But he saw that you, you you know you can make a change, and maybe there is time that you should make a change. And this doesn't mean you no know, Snow White has changed forever. You know, this is one interpretation of it, and I would have no real problem with it.
0: The worst thing about Willy Wonka was Johnny Depp becoming <laughs> Willy Wonka. Was the worst thing that happened. That uh, what is fubbing, Karen? Uh, I
2: I, I, You're a I never heard. It. Yeah, I never heard the words, but I I, I know what it, I knew what it meant because I think I think we're nearly all fubbers. Now mm-hmm. a fubber is um, someone who who ends up basically with rows with their partner because they're on the phone all the time. But you know, they're like most houses are, are like if you're in a relationship, are two fubbers in, in the story. <laughs> I think so. Like the you No, know, it depends what's on. Like uh, if you watch a lot of the Gaelic football championship it's very hard not to go on your phone after about two minutes or maybe after straight after the throw in because most of the games are so dull and boring, but like if we're watching like normally we'd watch some drama in the evening, and we try to keep the phones away like it 's quite irritating when you 're trying to get into a story, and just out of the corner of your eye, you see somebody looking at a screen but um, like i i I had a, an operation a few weeks ago, so i 'm off work for a while, and i can 't do a huge amount uh, while i 'm recovering. So I've been. I have a lot of time to kill, and one of the things I thought I'd do is just catch up on a lot of classic films, particular longer films, which you would normally wouldn't have the, you know, they would be too time consuming that you couldn't really face. So, like, I watched Lawrence Arabia this week, and it took me three days, like it's four <laughs> hours long, because I just didn't have the concentration. Like, you do think, oh God, I watched this as a kid. How did I sit through this as a kid? And now, because you're so used to looking down, and being distracted or looking for distraction every ten, fifteen minutes, or even less than that. It's, it's harder to, um. To maintain concentration, I think.
0: We've had several stories this week about excessive phone use, and I'm mm. starting to be concerned that there's an intervention happening on me because Are I am personally? a terrible, terrible fubber.
1: Yeah, we've all been talking about it. Mm. No, and I think this is, I'm so glad that Kieran brought up the idea of films because phobia, and the idea is that it's someone who looks at their phone and isn't giving you their full attention. So people have this certain conversations if their partner's on their phone. And there was a survey done of 712 married people, and they found that people who frequently felt phobed, so frequently felt like their partner was on their phone while talking, or having dinner, or whatever, felt less intimacy, less connection, and there was more conflict in their relationship because they felt like there was less attention. And I like to pride myself, like I got off Twitter a few years ago, I like to pride myself and not spending too much time on my phone but I will say my partner goes, mad if he's trying to show me a film, because I'll I'll have the phone out and I'll be looking. And for him, him showing me a film is, I want to connect, I want us to experience this together, and I'll be like yeah, but I watch films for a living, I'm kind of bored, let me do this. But I think a big issue is that idea of how addicted we are to our screens, and when we are so addicted and we're getting that constant dopamine Rush of like new content and refreshing social media or whatever, it means that we are less able to still stil- sit still and give someone our full attention and really engage and be curious about what they're saying in the moment. So, comes this kind of self perpetuating cycle of if I can't th- get through a conversation with you, that they- we check my phone, that is going to get worse and worse. And then our communication is getting br- going to break down. So, I think it's really about learning how to self regulate your desire. I think looking at your screen time on your phone, like at the end of the week and seeing how much time is often terrible. It all work, it's all work. <laughs> and learning how to be really present in the moment. And even I've seen people do this when they go out to dinner with a group of their friends, that they'll all put their phones face down in the middle of the table, and the first person who checks their phone has to pick up the bill. When there's money involved, you learn how to self-regulate very quickly.
0: Alright, we gotta leave it. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30.
1: Today is